Today is the final day in the Christian church year, a day that the church has designated Christ the King Sunday. Our church year ends with this grand acclamation of Christ, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords, the one who rules from heaven above for the good of his church, for the good of us, his people. Our sermon today is based on Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Our message is entitled, Take Heart, Christ is Our King. May God bless you as you hear and take to heart the truths of his holy word. On this Christ the King Sunday, our epistle lesson and sermon text from Revelation chapter 1, starting with the second portion of verse 4. Grace to you and peace from him who is who was and who is coming, and from the seven spirits that are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his own blood, and made us a kingdom and priests to God his Father, To him be the glory and the power forever. Amen. Look, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, including those who pierced him. And all the nations of the earth will mourn because of him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is and who was and who is coming the Almighty. This is the word of our Lord. We pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. In the name of him who is our King forever and ever, the Lord Jesus Christ, my dear friends. Kings. The mere mention of kings may well take you right back to history class, back in your high school days, where you memorized names and dates of all kinds of kings who have lived through history. But of course, kings aren't just a thing of the past. There are kings who are in power right now at this moment. Could you name any of them? Three of them if you had to? Okay, I'll admit that I had to Google it. There's there's King Felipe. He's the king of Belgium. There's King Harold V. He's the king of Norway. There's Carl Gustav. He is the king of Sweden. There are others, of course, and even if you could come up with the names of three kings who are currently in power, the chances are that you know relatively little about them and probably could not name very many of their accomplishments. But today, on this Christ the King Sunday, we end the Christian church here with this grand acclamation that the Lord Jesus Christ is the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. We end by considering his mighty rule over us, the people of his kingdom. And boy, do we need it. So did the churches 
to whom this letter called Revelation was originally written. It was back in 100 A.D. As the Christians then lived through some intense persecution, as their blood was shed and their lives were taken because of their love for Christ, there may well have been times when they began to wonder, wait a minute, who's in control here? I thought the Lord Jesus was in charge. Does that sound familiar? As we face times of growing unbelief in our world, as the love of most has grown, grown cold, as people bicker and fight about just about everything, as we start to look at the daily headlines that are filled with all kinds of discouraging news, we may well be tempted to grow faint of heart. And so God in his infinite wisdom holds before his church back then and before his church here today this glorious picture of Christ. And as he does in the face of anything and everything that may have you fearful today, let me give you this encouragement from the word of our God. Take heart. Christ is our King. And he fills us with comfort and with praise on this final day of the church year by reminding us of who he is and by reminding us of what he has done and is still doing for us. All right, so who is he, this king whom we love and adore, in whom we place all of our trust, on whom we are basing all of our hopes and dreams? Here in our text, we get four beautiful answers to that question, who is this King of Kings? Verse 5, Christ is described as the faithful witness. What's meant by that? That Christ is the faithful witness. Well, think back to Jesus' earthly ministry. He came into this world not only to redeem us, not only to take away the sin of the world by becoming that lamb of sacrifice, Jesus also came here to preach and teach the good news of the kingdom of God. He went from town to village proclaiming the kingdom of God. And he does so still to this very day through his word and through those who share it. Christ our King is the faithful witness. He is faithful. That reminds us that he tells the truth. He is never wrong. In this day and age, we have so many people, self-proclaimed pundits about just about every different topic, some claiming this and others contradicting them and, and claiming that. We start to wonder whom we can believe anymore, right? But not so with Jesus. This faithful witness brings us the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth. We haven't been left in the dark about the way to be saved. God hasn't left us scratching our heads wondering what he's like or, or what he wants for us or what he wants from us. Jesus, the faithful witness through his word, has made these things known to us. He's the faithful witness. And next John, he reminds us that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. He became the firstborn from the dead on that very first Easter Sunday, firstborn. If, if you're the firstborn in your family, that means that you have younger siblings following after you. 
Jesus died for us, and of course on the third day he rose to life, and when he describes himself here as the firstborn from the dead, he wants us to know that just as he rose triumphantly from the dead, no, rather, because he rose triumphantly from the dead, those who believe and trust in him will rise from death to live forever with him. No other king, no matter how great, no matter how powerful or prolific, no other king could ever grant us everlasting life in a kingdom of perfect peace and joy and bliss. But our king can. And that's why in the face of everything that's wrong in our world, in the spite of everything that might be wrong in your life right now, Christian, you can take heart because Christ is our king. Next, we're told that Christ our king is the ruler of the kings of the earth. There have been some mighty powerful kings that have ruled in the history of our world. And some of them have abused their position of power to work unspeakable evil. Rulers all the way from Herod to Hitler to modern-day tyrants and dictators and terrorists who, who use their power to try to strike fear in the hearts of people with their reign of terror. But no matter how terrible, no matter how powerful, earthly rulers are simply pretenders to the real throne. Let all of them take note that Jesus is the King of kings. There is no king or anyone greater than he. Even the most powerful person in the world's history is subject to the rule and authority of Christ, and he's ruling over all things, Scripture says, for the good of his people. And someday, those who mocked him and those who rejected him, those who neglected him and those who dismissed him as nothing more than a mere figment of our imagination are going to learn the hard way that Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Who is this Christ, our king? One more. He tells us in the last verse of our text that he is the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet, omega, the final letter in the Greek alphabet. Jesus is the beginning and the end. Rather, he has no beginning and he has no end. He is the eternal, almighty God. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the unchangeable God, which is tremendous news for us because that means that we don't have to worry that Christ, our King, his great love for us and his perfect concern for us will never, ever change. He will keep his promise to forgive and to save those who trust in him, and that will never be broken. What a beautiful description. Christ our King, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, the Alpha and the Omega. Believers take heart in these words today. What a joy to know that this king isn't just any king, he is our king by faith. And that's true not just because of who he is, it's also true because of what he does. You know, the kings and presidents and politicians of this world always want to try to define themselves by their achievements and their accomplishments. But no matter how long their term in office, no matter how much power they wielded, they have, what they have done pales in comparison to what our king has done, is doing, and will yet do for us. So, 
what is he doing? John here reminds us in verse 5, Christ our King is the one who loves us. Loves us. Take note of the tense of that verb. He loves us. It's not that he used to love us but has fallen out of love with us. It's not that he, he might someday love us if we prove ourselves to be a little more lovable. He loves us. That was true yesterday and that's true today, and that'll be true tomorrow and through eternity. He loves us forever. He is perfect love. His love transcends all the evil that we have done. Thank goodness for that. Listen, his kingly love is not dependent on how you look or how you think or on how lovable you've been. That's important because none of us have lived lives that come even close to measuring up. We live lives of sinful rebellion. All of our best works are still stained with sin. And yet, there he is, this, this king of all kings, with his constant, unchangeable love. He desperately wants you to know, today and every day, how he feels about you. I love you, he says. And having assured you, of his perfect love for you, he puts his arm around your shoulder and leads you to his cross and tells you there is the proof of it. And that's why our text is telling us that Christ our King has freed us from our sins by his blood. His constant, unchangeable, unfathomable love led this King of all kings and this Lord of all lords to become a lowly servant, and to lay down his life for sinners like us at the cross and become the lamb of sacrifice. He has freed us from our sins. We had been slaves to sin. As spiritual criminals who have broken the laws of our God time and time again, we were bound up in the chains of sin and, and inmates bound for hell's prison forever. But at the cross, the Lord Jesus set us forever free. Our sins will not condemn us. They are forgiven. They are gone. They will never return to us because Christ the King, our King, has freed us from all of those sins by his blood. Now, isn't it true that if Christ our King had done only that, that alone would make him worthy of our unending devotion and our endless praise. But he hasn't only freed us from our sins by his blood. John goes on and he tells us that our King has made us to be a kingdom and priests to God his Father, a kingdom. Friends, Christ our King hasn't just saved us from the depths of hell. He has blessed us with citizenship in the kingdom of God. More intimately into the family of God, but we're citizens of the kingdom of God. We belong to Christ. He is our King. We live under Him in His kingdom. And that's a wonderful place to live. In Him, we are also heirs of the heavenly kingdom when this life is over. And he says, we are also priests. 
Bible tells us that every believer in Christ is a priest. In the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We, you, are a royal priesthood. That was news to New Testament believers. In the Old Testament, you wanted to serve as a priest, you had to be a Levite. Had to be from the tribe of Aaron. But now think back to biblical times. The priests, what did they do? They prayed to God on behalf of the people. You are a priest before God because of what Christ has done. In other words, you can go to your Lord in prayer, pouring out your heart to him with all of your petitions and needs and requests and intercessions for others. And the priests also offered up sacrifices. Not just anyone could offer a sacrifice, but the priest alone. We're also called upon to offer sacrifices. Not to atone for our sin, mind you. That's been done by the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus. But offer up sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. Our lives are ones that are one big, long, spiritual sacrifice to God, glorifying Him in all that we do. Friend, take heart, because Christ the King is Christ our King. Just look at what He's done for us. But the best is yet to come. And as he writes down the words of this vision that he was given here in our text, the Apostle John stops us dead in our tracks And he grabs our attention with the word, look. And he says, look, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, including those who pierced him. And the nations of the earth will mourn because of him. Every eye will see him. When Christ comes again at that sudden moment on the last day, every eye will. We'll see him. Doesn't matter if you live in the Far East or the Midwest, the North Pole or the South Pole. Every eye will see him. No one will simply be able to close their eyes and wish him away. When Jesus comes again on Judgment Day, everything will stop and the trumpet will sound and every eye will see him. And everyone will know and confess that Jesus Christ is King. Including, John says, those who pierced him. Those who mocked him at his trial. Those who handed him over to be crucified. Those who poked fun at him while they bowed down to him. Spit on him and struck him in the face. We'll see him. All of those people in the crowd outside of Pilate's palace who shouted at Pilate, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. We'll see him. Every person who has sinned against him and rejected him will see him. Imagine the look of horror on their faces on the last day. And not just them, John says, the nations of the earth. In other words, every unbeliever will mourn because of him, because the one that they rejected, the one that they neglected, the one that they couldn't have cared less about will suddenly appear for judgment. And for them, it will be too late. But not for us. 
In that grand moment, we believers will lift up our heads with joy and we will say to this coming king, yes, there's Christ our king. He's back exactly as he promised and we're heading to an eternal life in his heavenly kingdom. We'll see him coming, not as an angry judge to do us in, but as the Savior who has come to gather us to himself. We have his word on it. Jesus said, In John chapter 16, I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. So take heart no matter what, friends. Christ our King is coming back to bring us home. Christ the King is Christ our King. What a fitting thought for this final Sunday in the Christian church year. What a glorious ending. The King of Kings is Christ our King. And as we say that, let's anticipate that glorious moment when when the Lord will come and pull back the curtain on eternity and escort us to our heavenly home. Let's think ahead to that grand moment when everything that we believe by faith will suddenly be ours by sight. When we will wear that crown of victory forevermore, when we will live in perfect joy through all eternity, let's look forward to that. Let's rejoice about that. And no matter what happens, let's always take heart. Is Christ the King? Is Christ our King? Amen.